You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we share stories and break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. Hello again. We are back for episode two in the first interview of the season. Now, I tried something different with the audio and batch recorded three episodes thinking they sounded good, only to find out later that there was an echo. And I removed as much as um, as much of it as I could, but there still may be some spots that sound kind of echoey. So bear with me on this and the other two interviews, but hopefully it doesn't sound um, that bad. So this was an interview. This was a really fun interview that I did with Rita Olds, who is someone I admire for her commitment to putting herself first and putting her needs first. And she talks with me about how leaving a relationship that didn't feel authentic led to more authenticity in other areas of her life and, and what challenges that came with. So I thought it would be fitting for, for today's story time segment to be about um, leaving a friendship that made me question whether I was being fair to myself and my needs. So I had a friendship with a guy that lasted over 10 years until it started to feel less and less fulfilling for me. And at first, you know, the friendship was cool. Like uh, it was a mutually fulfilling relationship and we actually became kind of close and we talked often and regularly uh, for most of the friendship, I would say. And of course, you know, friendships have their ebbs and their flows, especially if you've known the person for a long time because life changes and your priorities change, your responsibilities change, your focus changes and so on and so forth. But over the years, we kind of managed to stay pretty connected and it was one of the more stable friendships that I had. But things very slowly started feeling not so okay. Um, first, my friend developed feelings for me and he was honest about that. And the feelings weren't necessarily the issue. It was the weirdness that happened after the feelings came. And so um, one thing I wanted was to be clear about my intentions and never lead him on. Um, so I always try to communicate the fact that we were friends, but I'm not sure That was enough for him. And more and more, I noticed little things that made me think um, a lot of what he was doing or saying was an effort to convince me to come around or to see him in a romantic light. So he did nice things for me, like surprise me with flowers or take me on trips when he wanted to go somewhere and he wanted company, which at first I thought, Like, oh, he's being generous and he wants to treat me. Well, then I deserve it. And, you know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, I've I've probably mentioned before that that's something that I had to, I think like on the episode two, season one, episode two, I mentioned how I had to come around to the idea of men doing nice things for me and being able to be receptive and, and feel like I was worthy of that. So... A lot of the times when he would do nice things for me, I was trying to practice being receptive and being gracious and feeling like I deserved it and I was worth it and worthy of it. So um, I just took it as him being generous. But after, after, like, after long, I started to notice that um, there were moments in conversation where it seemed like he was trying to make himself sound more appealing. So if I said, 
Hmm, I really like men who have a birthmark on the inside of their right thigh, then he would find some way to work into a conversation, whether it was the one we were currently having or a conversation on another day, that he had a birthmark on the inside of his right thigh. Now, obviously, I made that specific thing up, but that's exactly what he would do. And so you combine that with him doing nice things. And I stopped thinking of him so much as being generous and more so um, as him trying to shape my perception of him. So he also gave me a lot of credit for helping him become the man that he is today. Um, when I first met him, he was a lot, he was like a lot of men who hadn't been challenged to think differently about their sexism or misogyny. And so here I come with all this energy for black women. And I guess he'd never met someone like me before. And so he learned a lot just by virtue of the things that I like to talk about and the things that interest me. And so he got to a point where he was so, will say evolved that he could go on a podcast and say all these progressive things. Well, they think these things that are progressive for a man to say, and the women would just be wowed and they would be asking him where he learned to think like that and all this stuff. And he would credit me like he didn't say my name, but he would credit me as a sort of unofficial mentor. And it felt weird when I heard it, when, <laughs> when I listened to this episode of that, of that podcast, but I shrugged it off like, okay, no big deal until I started to notice other patterns. So just like the rest of us, he still had some misogynistic views. And I say just like the rest of us because we're all socialized to be misogynistic. Misogyny is the status quo in our society and it's it's a, a continual process to check it. So I have internalized misogyny that I still have to check because I'm not immune to the messages that I get from society. However, just like I check just like I check it within myself, I expect for someone who considers um, me to be a friend and especially an quote unquote unofficial mentor to be able to accept constructive criticism. So like he seemed to fancy himself as very progressive and evolved in his thinking about women, but there would be occasions where his sexism would jump out. And whenever I would be like, wait a minute, that's, you know, what you said was kind of fucked up and here's why. <laughs> It was always deflection or gaslighting or derailing or that's not what I said, even though that was what he said, or I feel attacked, even though nobody was attacking him. And he was fine soaking up my ideas and my musings on sexism and misogyny, as long as it wasn't his sexism and his misogyny that I was pointing out. And it struck me because, again, he had hailed me as his unofficial mentor. He done gone on this podcast talking about my whole life has changed <laughs> since this woman came and enlightened me and showed me the way. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but no, he really did call me his unofficial mentor and credit me for like helping him become the man that he is. He really did that. So you would think that your mentor would be a, your unofficial mentor would be able to pull you to the side and say, nah, that ain't it when you don't get it right. And we all have moments when we don't get it right, me included. So it was like, he was more concerned with maintaining his image as someone who never would never say or think something misogynistic um, than he was concerned about actually having learned everything that he claimed 
to have learned from me. And it got to a point where it annoyed me so much that I found myself complaining to another friend about him. And I don't usually talk about my friends to my other friends, but I found myself asking another friend stuff like, um, you know, am I tripping or was this some fucked up shit to say? Or does this seem like some weird shit to do? (laughs) So, you know, honestly, that's when I know things are heading south with a man. If it's becoming a regular thing that I'm having to seek validation from friends about whether or not you fucked up, then we're heading toward the end of whatever it is that we have because I don't really need that. And, you know, I'm working on trusting my own voice and my own convictions more, but that's another topic for another day. But um, once I realized I was complaining about him more and more to this friend, it dawned on me that the relationship was no longer mutually fulfilling. I didn't really get much out of our conversations because I started feeling like he was mining them for content for his creative stuff or um, picking my brain so he could you know, keep up his good guy image and be informed on the politically correct thing or the politically politically correct way to act or whatever thing, politically correct things to say, which was basically my last draw. Everything seemed very performative for him or with him. Like even the way that he showed support seemed mechanical and performative. So that was pretty much my last draw. So we had already been speaking less frequently but on one occasion when we were when we had spoken I told him about how my job was doing some some real stressful shit and it's like he used that issue to perform outrage and sympathy and it just ended up being awkward and even more annoying so like I told him on one occasion about my job and some stressful stuff that was going on and it was like every few weeks after that he would text me to ask if the situation with my job had changed. And when I would say no, because it hadn't changed and it never changed, he would just respond, damn, that's crazy. Or (laughs) even more ridiculous, I'm mad all over again. And it would just make me be like, (laughs) I would just be thinking, really, nigga, (laughs) you mad for real? I I can't even say it without laughing because it's just sounds so ridiculous. But I also cannot stand a damn that's crazy ass nigga because I'm in a point where if you're a man and you want to if you want me to make space for you in my life and to devote energy to you, then you have to be useful. Like you can't just be here because you want to be here because women enrich men's lives in such a way that they benefit just by having proximity to us. So I now require that men also be useful if they want to be in my life. And that can be defined in different ways, but it's definitely not damn that's crazy as a response to an issue that I mentioned once and that you keep bringing up like you finna do something about it. So um, I I actually told him I wanted him to stop asking me (laughs) about it unless his follow up was going to be to offer me some money or to, you know, ask what he could do to help. Because I have female friends in my life who will hear me talk about like a fucked up job and tell me about the positions that are open at open at their jobs or send me links to jobs that they, you know, might have come across that they think I'd be interested in or who may like hear me talk about how terrible my interviewing skills are and then offer to do some mock review mock interview questions with me. 
So if my female friends can show up for me in that way without me asking, why the fuck would I want a damn that's crazy ass nigga around to do absolutely nothing? So (laughs) that's when I started to think about why I had stayed in the friendship for as long as I had, because truth be told, it was conflicting with the person that I said I was growing into and the person I was showing myself to be in other areas of my life. So if you haven't listened to um, season one, episode one called, this is why I'm not the wifey type. I talked about how I used to have no boundaries and I just go along with whatever it was that men wanted our connection to be trying to be like the laid back low maintenance girl and how um how terrible that turned out for me and so as far as my romantic attachments I've gotten much better at controlling access to me and protecting my energy and I don't I don't allow men to waste my time anymore in that regard I'll just block you but for whatever reason I was holding on to this friendship that I'm pretty sure I would have let go of if it had been romantic and so when I got real honest with myself the reasons why I was holding on to this this friendship became clear so the first reason was history And this is a big reason why a lot of people stay in relationships that no longer serve them because you've known this person for so long that you can't possibly just not know them anymore, but you can. And history is not a good reason for anybody to stay anywhere, especially if that's the main reason why they're staying. The second reason was he was a quote unquote good man and I was still unpacking my allegiance to good men. And so season two, episode seven called Good Men Don't Exist is um, is all about the concept of good men and why it's problematic. So listen to that if you haven't already. But um, some part of me felt guilty for not wanting to be lovers, much less friends anymore with someone who had never done anything that would strike anyone as particularly heinous or outrageous Um, because, you know, his form of sexism was so benevolent. I second guessed my own feelings and questioned whether I knew what what was really best for me in the same way that society teaches us to distrust women's judgment. And then the third reason, which is, was, is the hardest for me to admit is that I liked the validation of having someone around that liked me and would do nice things for me. And it was like, a boost to my sense of self-worth, self-worth or a reflection of my value for a man to volunteer to do stuff for me the way that he did. And, you know, that's when I knew that I wasn't being authentic because here I am advocating for black women to center themselves, but maintaining a friendship, even if just barely so, that was mostly centered um uh on the reasons were mostly centered on him and his appraisal of me or the reasons for maintaining the friendship were centered around him and his appraisal of me so it was also kind of scary a scary thing to do to end a friendship with a man that had been you know quote-unquote good to me because of what it symbolized I think Women that truly decenter men face more violence, sometimes physical, sometimes other kinds. But um, men fear and respect other men. So being attached to or claimed by a man is going to afford you uh, at least some level of protection. So to be out here with the platform called Not The Wifey Type and to be fully invested in and intentional about cutting away relationships with men that don't serve me felt dangerous. 
Um, now that it's been a while since we've talked, I don't have any regrets about any of the friendship. Um, you know, occasionally I'll feel like maybe I should have ended it a different way, but I never feel myself missing him or the time that we shared together. Um, actually, instead of a loss, I feel like I'm getting better at choosing myself. And that is immensely gratifying, much much, much more so than any trip or gift or night out that I would have gotten if I had stayed in the friendship. So I guess a final thought before going into this interview with Rita is what's keeping you from choosing you? For today's guest, we have with us Rita Olds. Rita is a sales copywriter and storyteller who helps women-led businesses and women of color to find, develop, and use their voices. How are you this morning, Rita? I'm good. I work with Black women only, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I was also going to say, I love on your website how you say, we are led by me, a Black woman. That's our secret sauce. Like... Mm -hmm. (laughs) I read that and I was like, yes. Okay. So I've been wanting to have you on for a while. I don't know why I didn't ask you before, but we're here now. So we are here now. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to start with a little background. So if you'll tell us a little background about yourself, like where did you grow up and what did you learn about gender roles or what was appropriate for girls who look like you? Ooh, Chala, that's a question. Okay. <laughs> I'm so used to doing business podcasts, girl. You know, I'm like, I went to school, yada, yada, but honey... Okay, family. <laughs> Y'all were there with me, so here we go. So I'm from College Park, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta, uh, predominantly black neighborhood, very much working class. Um, and <laughs> whoo, this is such a loaded question. So one, let's talk about the positive things that I saw growing up. One blackness was celebrated, right? All of my cousins, my family, my aunties. Whatever versions of themselves they wanted to be, they were. So, you know, we had the acrylics. We got our name plates, like necklaces or earrings. We had my family had gold teeth. You know, we in the South, y'all. Um, so very much in our neighborhoods, we could be whatever we wanted to be. However, that white people voice was always around. You know that. Don't act like that amongst mixed company. Hush, hush um, amongst mixed company. Don't be fast or show no thought amongst men. So it was mad confusing. Like as an adult, I get what they were doing. But as a child, it's like, what are we talking about? Like on one hand, it's like, you know, be yourself, wear your little French bun and, and be great. But then it's like, actually, that's too much. So it was very much mixed messages and uh, not a lot of messages being um direct conversations it was always Mm -hmm. just passive lessons and my mom has been married maybe three times if not more Mm -hmm. because you know (laughs) I don't know anymore like girl did you marry that man or not right and so um without actually saying it I learned that despite education jobs that men and partnership and being chosen is peak femininity I guess you know and these niggas was wild and losers. Even as a child, I'm like, this nigga is trash. But you know, it is what it is. These were my lessons. <laughs> Can I curse here also? Is absolutely, that cool? absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so you actually answered the question I was going to ask next was what messages did you get about, about marriage? Because I wanted to talk kind of about how um, you ended up married and then realized that situation wasn't for you and moved on to 
be more authentic in your in your business and yourself. So can you say a little bit more about what messages um, you got about marriage when you were younger or growing um, up? So there's like this whole polarity. I think I you know a lot of books, black folks have this. Like my mama's family, that they got married. My daddy's family, at least the women, did not. The men got married, the women did not, right? Um, weren't chosen. I'm not really sure what the... They had kids, but they just were not married. So, um, you know, get married, stay married, right? Get married, put God somewhere because I don't know if he was first in his relationships, but he was around, he was talked about. <laughs> and then, you know, you fight tooth and nail to stay married. You excuse transgressions. Tr- tr- cheating is not um a deal breaker, okay? Mm-hmm. Financial stability is not a deal breaker. I don't even know what it is about the black community that they always want to build a nigga up. Mm-hmm. I mean, no shade <laughs> to y'all who are doing that with your partners. More power to you. Um, and so those were the messages that I just received. Like my my like my grandma was proud when I got married. Like, why are you proud, girl? It's just a nigga. You know, so it's just, it was just child. <laughs> I'm trying to, because these ain't my stories to tell. So I'm trying to be PG and kind. Right, right, right. But, um, we were, I, I was definitely, it was definitely modeled that marriage is a thing. And mm-hmm. it was also known, I don't know if the adults knew that they weren't being discreet, but that a lot of the men in our family were not faithful. A lot of the men in our family were not as, not in our family, but married in or whatever, were not as successful mm-hmm. as the women. Like, mm-hmm. nigga, do you even work? Every time I skip school, you here. So it's like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's very much like, do you have a job? Um, Very much not equally yoked. Very much broke niggas were welcome because they were a warm body. Mm-hmm. My so, perception of that now, you know, nobody said that. Right, right, right. <laughs> so how did you, tell us about how you ended up married. <sighs> <laughs> okay. Ooh, child. So okay, this is a little therapy session. So my, my mom and my dad were married, right? My mom got married at 17, 18. She was teenage years, right? Wow. And mm-hmm. and my dad, a uh, great father, at least from my memory, not a great spouse, right? And so very abusive, verbally, physically, all the things, right? And so that just started a series of interesting relationships with my mom I mean my mom has so I never really saw a healthy marriage even though people on my mom's side were married I'm like y'all acting real weird too so like I never really saw a healthy model of relationships so you know I had some attachment issues okay I thought that the bare minimum was a lot because I actually was used to nothing so I had um very much been in relationships particularly like my college post-college relationships where they were ridiculously toxic the men were very clear in that they did not want to be with me and I took that on as a challenge like yes you do watch this right and so (laughs) and listen one thing I am is assertive and I try to get what I want so it was like game the fuck on Mm -hmm. but you know after breaking my own damn heart I met my husband and it was the first healthy relationship I ever had where mm-hmm. we're not yelling. It's so much basic shit now that I talk about it. Like, we are not yelling. You clearly communicate me with me what you need. Like, if I express my needs, you are open and receptive to them instead of telling me I'm tripping. Like, bad, mad basic shit that I was like, oh, my God, this is the best thing I've ever <laughs> experienced in my motherfucking life. Right. And so. 
he was in the military. He was moving. We met in D.C. He was moving to California. And I jokingly said, no shade, friend. Like, he's my friend now. But I jokingly said, like, I'm not going to California with you unless I'm your wife. And he proposed. I'm like, nigga, what? That was my way out. (laughs) That was my way to stay in D.C. But here we go. Like, so I had no reason not to marry him. Like, you know, so it was very much like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Cool, let's do it. And that's how I ended up married. I'm still very much married right now. You know, military got benefits. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm I'm single and he's cool with how I live my life. <laughs> so one thing I liked <laughs> one thing I really liked about you is that you were never like one of those women who were married and that became your identity, your full identity. And so <laughs> did you ever feel like that set you apart from other married women? Or did you ever feel like you weren't part of the like wives club? Cause I've heard married women talk about who are honest, talk about how there's like this wives club and they kind of are judgmental towards non-married women and stuff. So what, what about that? Uh, woo child. I, I want to walk away from this podcast with relationships. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so, Ooh, child. So, the, um, you know what? I'm not ever going to make it individualized. I'm going to make it a societal thing yeah. where um, that is the pinnacle. Like, that is the only time we're celebrated. That is the only time your friends are going to get together and celebrate you. Right? Mm-hmm. You could open a business. You can make a meal. You could get your PhD. And it's like a cute little girl's trip, but it is not a year-long multi-event celebration to celebrate you, right? And so mm-hmm. I get how women attach accomplishment um, and identity to marriage because that's the way we've been conditioned. So with that said, being a part, being a wife and being hung, hanging around wives, it's very much a part of their identity. Like it's mm-hmm. very much... It's something I don't understand. I never did. Like, it's like, uh, one, because my mother's been married three times. Like, you know this shit can end tomorrow and you're going to have another nigga's last name and you're going to be in a part of another nigga's family. At the end of the day, all you're going to have is you. So who the fuck are you? Right? Mm -hmm. And and when you meet people and the first thing they say is mom and wife, it's, it's a red flag to me. Like, okay, cool. Right. What else? Mm -hmm. Who else? Um, and who child them them wives be fighting for their lives they be fighting for their <laughs> lives child i mean and now that people don't talk about that they don't right. talk about that because it is normalized for women to sit and bitch about mm-hmm. adult men and i'm you know you ain't gotta deal with this right like he grown and i'm grown we don't have to have we, we don't have children yet why are you treating him like a child why is it normal for us to laugh about this i just never could get into it mm-hmm. um Child, they be thinking they're the chosen ones. It's so weird. <laughs> it is so weird. Like, what do you attribute that to? Your ability to kind of keep your own identity, even uh, it a is wife. a trauma response, baby. It is a trauma <laughs> response. Let me tell you. Um, again, my mother has been an old De Palmer, a Smith. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm always. My daddy told me like, you're an old. Well, he also told me I have to bring white people home. But he was like, don't bring no white person home. And he don't have no sons. He's like, you're always going to be an old. And that's something I took to heart. <laughs> um, and then I just never wanted to go through changing my name. I never wanted to go through all mm-hmm. these weird, this weird, like I really saw my mother lose herself. Mm-hmm. Like our Christum, our Christum 
Christmas traditions changed based on who she was dating, right? Or or how everything changed based on who we're dating, what we ate, we got their fucking favorite cereal. It was just weird. And as a child, I'm not sure why I had this discernment. I thank the Lord every day where it's just like, this is not a life that I want. I can feel that you're unhappy. This feels so disingenuous mm-hmm. and you lose a part of yourself and mad money every time a nigga come here. And so I just never wanted to to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm very full of myself. <laughs> Confidence. <I love> it. <laughs> like in some spaces, of course, there's some childhood things that I have to work through as I'm telling y'all a little bit of my story. But in most spaces, um, I like who I am. And most spaces, I won't really back down from that. <laughs> and so a, ma- a man, we talk about men. A man, you want me to act like they the prize when I'm a whole ass woman and I'm me? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that's just my energy. Uh, and, and that's also my energy after breaking my own heart. Like after knowing that like I done bent over backwards, I done dealt with some bullshit all for a dusty ass human being and not even dusty. Like, cool. We could be equally yoked. Cool. You could be a, a great human being, but it's like, that's it. Like Disney done wrote all these books about this, all these books about this child. You didn't play, play with me. Like I just felt bamboozled once I finally got into relationships, you know, I thought it would be like a ultimate source of healing. I thought it would be mm-hmm. an ultimate source of love. And it's, it's not, Mm-hmm. And like, of course, my marriage sent me back home to myself, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, girl, here's where you need to be. This is what you need to be working on. Here's where you need to spend your energy. Um, but relationships ain't ain't what we've been sold. It's a lot of work, and it mm-hmm. takes. Um, I mean, because I was I was choosing men at the time. <laughs> it takes um, a specially emotionally intelligent and self aware human to partner with me. And mm-hmm. the, the, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> and I'm not gonna say they are not out there. Um, I'm gonna say that I've been conditioned to look at the wrong things, like money. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And money is important now, but money or uh, the way a person dresses or a job or whether they was raised in a church. You know, like we were <laughs> we were taught to look at things that had nothing to do with somebody's character, no, and nothing to do with someone's ability to be a great partner to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember um, post uh, you made a post on Facebook, I believe, and I commented, "It's I'm glad to see that you're out in Cali thriving or something like that." And you responded, "I'm not," and it was it was kind of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was it was a shock a little bit because it was so honest. And so I wanted to ask, like, how was it? Or how did you realize? How did you realize that your life? Um, your married life in Cali wasn't for you. Who I think, um, truth be told, a lot of my relationship worked in DC because we had a community, right? We didn't necessarily spend a lot of time alone. We were hanging out with my friends, hanging out with his friends, going outside, right? It was just, you know, what was I, late twenties, late twenties, partying, hookah, and brunching, drinking numbing running from all of our own things together i mean individually and collectively so it felt fun um but california actually made me look at face myself because i I was amongst no friends no family no job so it was just me and him him and me and i'm like yo you cool you are a cool friend but he wanted more a traditional wife like 
I'm hungry too. Cook some motherfucking breakfast. Like I'm just like I can't do. I don't. I don't find the. I do not enjoy this. <laughs> I do. I don't. I didn't want kids. I never. I always knew I did not want kids. So any type of relationship that felt like I am the primary caregiver just did not feel good, especially when it's not reciprocated. Like if you would cook some bomb ass breakfast sometimes and I would do it sometimes, cool. But it definitely started to me, I'm paying all the bills, right? Um, um, he was the, he was the breadwinner. Cool. He's in the military, but it's still like, bruh, I don't like this. I'm really sad. And then I started to realize, like, I was sad in my last relationship. I was sad in my relationship before that. I'm not sure how I feel about my friends. All we do is drink together. Oh my God. You know, and like I think that's a TikTok where it's like, oh Lord. Like it was basically one of those moments where I'm just like, I am so detached from who I am. I have dissociated for the last decade. What the fuck is going on? Right. And I you have no choice. Like you have I mean, there was weed there, but it was just like I'm tired of smoking, I'm tired of drinking, I'm tired of fu- I'm married now, so I can't fuck it away either. So what I mean him, of course, but he's gone. I'm like, what? is this and what can I do? I don't like this. And so I just went down. I was down for like two and a half years. Like what is life? Who am I and what am I doing? And I mean, you just had to face yourself at some point. <laughs> and that's just, that was where I was at. I had to face myself. Mm-hmm. So was it challenging to make the decision to leave and move back, move back home to Atlanta? No. Um, the decision wasn't hard. The decision to tell everybody else was hard. That's typically how life goes, right? Um, all the social conditioning of why you leaving a good man? He ain't cheat on you. He ain't hitting you. Yada, yada, yada. You know, the, when the bar is so fucking low, okay, people don't understand that my happiness is, is, is first, right? And I also was coming to terms with my sexual identity too. So that was also like, again, oh Lord, because I personally thought all women liked women like I just thought that was real normal like we talk about girl crushes all the time I want want to touch my girl crush that's not just a thought like what are we talking (laughs) about you know what I'm saying so it was very much like oh it's a lot of shit happening right now and so the decision for me was very easy I I was in therapy so we came to that decision we made a timeline so it was like oh shit I gotta tell him now I done book. I done booked the flight. I done had my. I booked my car to get shipped. So I made all the decisions to go. It was just a matter of telling the world and telling his ass this is about to happen. <laughs> and so um, I knew it was more embarrassment because my my wedding pictures were cute. You know, my friends were more excited for me. But I'm just like, y'all. If y'all want them, y'all can have them. Here's a letter of recommendation. He's a great man. You know what I'm saying? Like I ain't got. That's all I got to say. So the decision wasn't hard because again. When I'm actually tapped in and aware and not dissociating, I choose me all the time. And, and, and it comes off as very selfish. That's a running joke amongst my family. Like, if one person is going to be selfish, it's me. I am. Right? And I don't feel anything wrong with that in any way, shape, or form. Probably the happiest I've ever been and the happiest among y'all niggas anyway. But um, it's just the social, you know, there's so much social capital in being married. There's so much social capital in being in a heteronormative relationship. There's so much social capital in presenting as femme, right? And so all of my social safety nets, I was abandoning. Mm-hmm. And I was I was just scared to see how my friends would react and my family would react. You know, there's always little subtle ass comments that niggas think like, so what you think you're a boy now? No, bitch. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's always like, <laughs> how does that... How do you get that? I cut my, you know, women have short hair too. You know that. Like, it's just always little small things where it's like, it's mad microaggressions, but they, 
you know, the straights are not okay. But that's not, that's not, that's not a, that's not a conversation for me. Um, the decision was easy. The social, the social blowback was a little interesting. Mm-hmm. That just reminded me of something else you told me. I remember we were out to lunch or something, mm-hmm. and you told me I had like an innocence about me or something that, <laughs> that you feel like would make men want to protect me. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I I agree. Like, there's a lot of social currency with like playing into these heteronormative roles, being the feminine woman who you know is dainty or you know docile or whatever the fuck. But um, yeah. So I was wondering. Were there were there challenges? Oh, well, you kind of already answered that. You said it was more so telling people that was the challenge than actually making the decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what was your priority after leaving? My mental health. <laughs> My mental health. I mean, it was already, and I don't know. I don't know how old you are. I'm not sure how old your followers are if they follow astrology, right? If you look up Saturn return, I had experienced my Saturn return. So, like, mm-hmm. my life got turned upside down from being, you know, pretty okay um, in D.C. to being an entrepreneur where I'm making like $20,000 a year. Bitch, what? Like that is, uh, that was, uh, okay, let's just talk about it. So that was broke as hell to me, right? My version of broke mm-hmm. with student loans, car notes, and credit card debt coming back home mm-hmm. to my mother's home where mm-hmm. I experienced so much fucking trauma in this motherfucking house. Had a panic attack. Like I'm trying to use all my tools like, hey, these are my boundaries. Hey, let me know if you do this. Hey, motherfuckers don't know nothing about boundaries because they all are mesh and codependent. Motherfuckers don't know nothing about nothing. So I'm coming in here with these tools and it was just like, what? So I ended up in a hospital from a panic attack from this fucking house. It's okay. I'm fine now, right? But like... It was just really hard. I realized how much responsibility my family gave me. I realized why I never came home because I left at 18. I never moved back to Atlanta since until I was 32, mm-hmm. 31 or 32, right? And so th- I think 32. So it's just like, this is why I left. Y'all are unwell and unwilling to acknowledge or change that, right? So it's like, then I'm thrust into family dynamics where I have to heal myself while still keeping healthy boundaries around me with other people. I'm stepping into a a different version of entrepreneurship because I decided to pivot to become a copywriter. My education wasn't writing. Um, I was writing like kind of on the side as a side hustle, but never really said, okay, I'm a copywriter. So I'm pivoting in my business, making zero dollars. You know what I'm saying? So there's a financial insecurity there. And then I changed my whole look. I cut my hair. Like I, I caught my mom, like, just snap. I'm not wearing a dress no more. I'm not wearing earrings. I'm not doing all this shit. I'm being myself. Like, I just went off. And she was like, okay, baby. And I'm like, no, because anytime when I was young, I didn't wear earrings. Like, where your earrings at, right? Why your nails ain't painted? And I'm like, y'all don't understand that those are microaggressions. And I didn't, if I don't have them on, because I didn't want to, right? And so mm-hmm. I was forced. I, I cosplayed in, in femininity my whole life, where it's like, let me... I, I was great at it because I was cute. You know, when I wore heels, I looked great. But that just, I felt like I was in drag the whole time, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't like this. So I came home, new look, left my husband. People's like, what the fuck is going on? Mind your business. Like, <laughs> if everybody would mind their business, everybody would be okay. Like, you got, your house ain't even clean over here, lady. Worry about yourself <laughs> <laughs> and get back to me later. So again, it was the, the socialization of explaining, trying to explain who I am and where I'm going and my confusion. Was that, did I answer your question? Because I felt like I was yes, on a rant. did. No, that was great. That was great. So, yeah, I wanted to get more into your business. So, 
it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you moved into being like a more, more authentic um, after your after you came back to Atlanta and after yes. your marriage. So talk talk about that, like how you decided to show up more authentically um, in your business. I mean, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you already know your your business is going to reflect your personal life always, right? And so, um, I mean, until recently, I was like, hey, guys, it's Rita. You know, I would code switch. That's what I was taught. I would, again, play in all this femininity. I felt like I had to put on makeup to go live and keep my nails and all this other weird shit. No shade to the films. Like, I love that y'all do that, right? But it's not me. And so the minute I just said, I, this ain't who I am in my personal life, I was able to say this ain't who I am in my business. Like, I'm not sure, but there is always a power dynamic when I work with men and white people. Like, I don't give a fuck how cool you are. I don't give a fuck how woke you are. There is always this undercurrent of, mm, right? And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do this shit no more. I don't have to do this shit no more. And I'm not. I only want to work with people that I like. I don't like all black folks, but bare minimum, <laughs> bare minimum, I get to choose which black folks I work with. Okay. And that's just, that's it. And so once I did that business completely changed the way I interact with my clients completely changed my passion about what we write and completely changed because come on, you know, we be writing for these coaches. Well, at least uh, copywriters I'm writing for these Caucasian coaches who's charging 50,000 got, Six co-coaches, they never interact with their students. I'm like, yo, are y'all weird as hell? Not weird. Whatever works for your business, you do that. But I couldn't get into it. You know what I'm saying? I didn't believe in it. I knew it was fugazi. And I'm like, this does not feel good to me. So I had to put like more of my integrity first and my comfort and safety first. Because rewinding a little bit, when I was in the hospital uh, from anxiety, I had to tell, had to tell a client like, yo, and I know it sounds it sound like a wild ass story. I'm like, yo, I'm in the hospital right now. I'm going to need like a week or three to get back on my feet. You know, I'm going to miss all these deadlines. Well, can you email me? Bitch, I just told you I'm in the hospital. And you asked me to email me. Actually, this relationship is done. Fuck you. Fuck that. Fuck your whole squad. Like, I just I couldn't get into it. And it was just like, you know, people really don't care. Like, and there's a different there's a different level of community care when you are amongst black women to me. Mm-hmm. There is just. Girl, I don't know you from a can of paint. We 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 linked up. I have felt like I can be mad vulnerable with you and like I feel safe with you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's the level of it doesn't matter the length or the depth of the relationship. There is a level of safety with black women and I will forever work with and collaborate with them and them only. Mm-hmm. And how has that been for you since you started doing that? Only collaborating with black women. Easy. Um, it's been easy. Like I don't know. Y'all can follow me on Instagram. It's my name. I don't necessarily promote myself often on Instagram. I have a very interesting relationship with social media. Um, y'all be safe out here. Body dysmorphia. Um, it's real. You know the the validation seeking is very normal mm-hmm. to want community, and it's very normal to be seen for who you are, but do not go down this rabbit hole of social media and, and living for that because it's so strange. That's my little PSA to the people out there. <laughs> but um, thankfully, a lot of my business has come from word of mouth, right? And so one person tell one person, one person tell one person. So that's beautiful to me because it just reinforces that like, yo, I made the right decision and my people are my people. But um, it's also been a little interesting when... um. 
Ooh, child. It's been interesting when black women create the same systems of oppression as white folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just coming with this classism, this elitism that is very prominent within the coaching space on, or entrepreneur space online. So I know people who mean well pull me to the side like, you know, you leave the money on the table or, or, you know, I would refer somebody to you, baby girl. I didn't ask you to do that. OK, and you can keep that to yourself. God did not send you. I got a direct line. Okay. And so it's, it's, (laughs) I'm very serious because people mean well, and they always project what they think success looks like onto you. And that's, and that's, that's been my, my experience. Like, this is what marriage looks like. This is what queerness looks like. This is what entrepreneurship looks like. Do that in your house. Do that. Like, take that to God. If you have a question about how I'm living, because I know he didn't send you or her or it, whatever, but you know, and so that's been a little hard because I'm like, y'all gatekeeping all this information, y'all gatekeeping all this access, but yet you faith-based and serve black people. Based on data, do you know how much motherfuckers make? And you you charging a whole annual income to get coached? Mm-hmm. God didn't even give you that. So let it girl go somewhere. But I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't be in those conversations. I mind my business. But you know, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Cause I got thoughts on that too. (laughs) What's been the best part of, of choosing to live your life in this way. That's more authentic to you. And a lot of peace. Peace. (laughs) I mean, I'm not sure anybody out there who has experienced anxiety, but I didn't like, I don't remember probably the first two and a half decades of my life. Mm. Like, I have dissociated so much. I have been rewinding and fast forwarding so much. I have been like, literally felt like I'm a ghost watching me live like a Sims, watching me live my life. Right. And Mm -hmm. so my anxiety is a lot. I mean, we're living through a pandemic and the end of this empire. So, I mean, it's kind of anxiety inducing, but, (laughs) but, um, I'm a lot more present in my body. Right. I'm a lot more, I'm having connections that are not just superficial. I think, you know, you have your middle school friends, you have your high school friends, you have your college friends because of proximity. Right now, I get to really choose the connections that I want because I actually like you, you know. And so I've never really had spaces where I felt really safe, spaces where I could be really vulnerable um, because, you know, presenting I am, you know, I can advocate for myself now. But there are moments where I need to be soft. There are moments where I need to cry. There are moments where I need to rest. And I've created communities that allow me to do that right and I never had that and so that is the best part where I can say I'm not okay I'm gonna take a month off right and I, I used to think that that was some Caucasian shit like that, that I mean because it, it's it is truly a privilege to take time off of work it is truly a privilege to sit in femininity it's truly a that's you are you opening yourself up to anything to me you know and so um when I have that safety, when I can say like, no matter what I look like, no matter how, how these words come out, baby, I need some, I need some safety. Just like conversation we had with you. Like I can, I can really be myself in all those complexities now, you know, that I'm just actually saying, this is what I need. This is how I am. This is how I move, you know? And so peace, peace of mind is just, it's priceless, baby. Cause I know a lot of people who still do shit. They don't want to do people who still are amongst communities where they don't feel safe. And it's like, I'm always the devil on the show. Like, you know, you ain't got to do that. Right. You ain't got to go to that birthday party. You ain't got to go to the happy hour. You don't have to go. And I also stop fucking drinking. I mean, I have a drink, but like, bruh, I didn't realize how much I was drinking to cope. And I think that 
that is American culture in general. Like when you're in when you're in college, you're encouraged to binge drink. Post college, happy hours, game days, brunches, you were conditioned to drink, right? And I did it because I was running. Like I'm running from all the things I don't want to sit with. And I'm like, dang, I don't even like this shit no more. You know, because I would do so much shit when I was drunk, like hook up with folks, say some shit, do some shit. And it's like, it's a lot less regrets now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what would, is there anything you would say to someone who, who someone else who's seeking to live more authentically? <sighs> okay. One, buckle up. Um, I think we think authenticity is easy, but you don't realize the, how many systems of oppression you are up against, even amongst your own. Okay. So everybody's going to project their ideas of what's best for you on you. So sit still and figure out what you really want. And I, one thing I always ask myself, is this mine or was this given to me? Every single thing. Is this my dream? Is this my aesthetic? Is this my voice? Is this my, is this me? Right. And then if it is, you keep it. If it was given to you, figure out the source and figure out if you want to keep it. Right. Some things were given to me and it's like, you know what? I'll keep that. That's some black culture shit. I'm going to keep that. You know what I'm saying? I, I like that. But some of it is like, you know what? You can have this back. Thank you. You can have this back. Thank you. And you really curate what's for you. And then you have to learn how to advocate for yourself. People are going to be pissed. That's their problem. Right. You are not responsible for other people's feelings. OK, you're responsible for your own actions. OK, but you're not responsible for how other people respond. And once you control how you respond to others, to people and their shit, you're going to be OK with disappointing people. You're going to be OK with people showing a whole entire ass, both cheeks, okay? And it has <laughs> nothing to do with you. Tell them to take that to God and you build your own relationship with whoever you need to. But it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, but just because it's hard does not mean it's not right, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and you have to do that every fucking year or three. So don't think it's a one and done. <laughs> this is a lifetime of, okay, do I like this version of myself? Right. Do I like this? Do I like these people? And also, really get comfortable with impermanence, y'all. Okay, Disney done told us that shit is forever. Ain't shit forever. And this is not in a negative way. Summer's not forever. Winter's not forever. Youth is not forever. Everything everything ends, right? And the, the sooner you realize that, the sooner you can let things go in peace. You don't have to hold on. You don't have to cling to this shit. Thank you. Okay, let's go. Let's see what's next, right? Middle school ended. High school ended. Everything ends, okay? Right. So... Don't cling on to versions or people or things or places that you know in your heart do not feel good. Everybody else will be all right. That's it. You said a lot. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So there's one last question I'd like to ask guests before we go is, um, what is a book or resource that has been formative for you? Oh, you're going to ask me about one, just a singular book? (laughs) I have had people give like three or four, so (laughs) you can answer how you feel oh my god okay that has been formative to me work or life either what whichever well one do what do one of each you can do one of each okay as i look at my bookshelf okay okay let let me tell you one that did and it made and i had to change my mind on it so let me say the 48 Laws of Power I used to really like until I realized it was nothing but a tool of manipulation for like white people. That shit's weird. So don't read that book. Well, read it but to understand how the ops work, but do not live your life based on that. Um, it's embarrassing that it's on my bookshelf. 
I have it too. And I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed as well. Like if anybody comes over, I gotta, I gotta be um, like, oh, I don't even like that. All right, so keep this to keep it corny, not corny, but keep it light. All about love has changed the way you know. I look at social conditioning, right? Because she really gets into like, oh, yo, I was a manipulative as fuck. The when I used to perform femininity. I used to pretend to be helpless. I used to pretend to give a fuck about a nigga's opinion. Like, I know more than you, dog, but here I am. Like, what you think? You know? And so... <laughs> I hate that. I hate trying to act humble when you know you know more than the man you're talking to. Like, it's the worst. And their ego, you know their ego, it can't take them being corrected and, and put down or whatever the fuck. Yeah. So no. And here we are. Okay? So... <laughs> That helped me realize how that's that's dishonest in itself, right? And you can't really build connection in that dishonesty, mm-hmm. right? And then, um, eek, I have some hotel books over here, too, that I'm not about to talk about. Um, <laughs> I went through that phase as well on my journey. You're going to go through a lot of phases, y'all. But <laughs> uh, Okay, I'll just leave that for my personal personal life and my my professional life, eek. Yeah, I'm gonna keep it corny. Words that sell. I refer to that book every day. If you're a copywriter, a marketer, if you're a DIY marketer or a copywriter, get the book called Words That Sell because y'all words me. I'm so tired of confidence and clarity. If the girls write that anymore, you're not about to sell me confidence and clarity for ten thousand dollars. Find some synonyms. <laughs> okay, and I'm just realizing we should have done this a lot earlier. But tell people what copywriting is if they if they may not be familiar with what. Oh, okay. Copywriting is simply the act of using the right words in the right places to connect to the right people to get them to do exactly what you want. Not in a malicious way, um, but that get them them to do what you want could be to sign up, to talk to you, to stop, to give you money, to donate. Um, Copy are the actual words and the mediums that I particularly use uh, is our websites. Like I write words on websites, but other copywriters do product descriptions, billboards, scripts for radio, scripts for TV, anything that requires words to sell an idea, a product or service or an event, it's copy. Perfect. And I love that you do it. You show up as an unapologetically black woman to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So tell people where they can find you on the internet if they're looking for you. If y'all looking, if you don't. want to be found. I'm like, don't. <laughs> <laughs> JK, y'all, JK, I am actually in the process of like going off grid in the next year and a half. Um, so if you want to work with me, y'all better get it in now. You can find me at uh, RitaOls.com. You can find me on Instagram at RitaOls. That's where, primarily where I am. But my random personal thoughts are on Twitter. So if you want the professional me, hit me up on Insta. If you want some random thoughts, hit me up on Twitter. Um, I don't really talk to strangers, but tell, tell me that you found me through this, through this podcast, and I promise to respond. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show, Rita. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop and rate and review so others will know how much you love the show too. If you want to keep up with me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at Not The Wifey Type. Until next time, I'm reminding you to belong to yourself. <laughs>